The first step to building wealth. How much money that you should keep in savings. The first type of retirement account that you should max out. How to buy your first piece of real estate. Why you should never spend your earned money. Why you should think twice before spending money on things and experiences and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 455 with entrepreneur, real estate investor, speaker, and author, Candy Valentina. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals who are hungry for growth get closer to the best version of themselves so that they can live meaningful and impactful lives. One way that we do this is through the 10-week transformation where we help people lose body fat, build muscle, and create healthy habits so that they're a positive role model for other people in their lives. If you're interested in losing five to 20 pounds in the next 10 weeks, or maybe you're just interested in making sure that you don't let the holiday season get you off the rails and you wanna stay on track, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Y'all, today I am super fired up by the motivation and the practical advice that you're about to get from Candy Valentino. Candy started her first ever business at 19 years old with no degree, no corporate background, and literally no money and no internet. But then she successfully started, scaled, and successfully sold that business and other businesses in service, in retail, e-commerce, product manufacturing, in addition to creating a vast real estate portfolio as a flipper and an investor. Also, during her two and a half decades as an entrepreneur, she's been named top business leaders, 40 under 40, top 50 women in business, 10 people making a difference, top 10 business consultants by Yahtu Finance, and was literally the youngest female to receive the Governor's Award in Entrepreneurship in Pennsylvania. Candy was also recently selected by Success Magazine as one of just six women of influence and additionally listed to leaders who get results. Also with names like Will Smith, Gary Vee, and Brene Brown. Y'all, I am not underestimating this podcast could change your life. If you pay close attention to this podcast and you have a place to sit down and take notes or afterwards you sit down and take notes on what you learned, it could radically change your life. I want to make sure that you get that in your head. It could radically change your life if you take notes and apply this to your life. But before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Because like this episode, I have many more coming down the road that are also probably going to be life-changing as well. And I want to make sure that you do not miss them. And if you don't subscribe, you're not going to get notified when a new episode comes out and you might forget about it. And I don't want that to happen to you because I want you to get closer to the best version of yourself. So make sure you subscribe and also send your friend or family, friend or family member to nickcarrier.com slash podcast so they can subscribe as well. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Candy Valentino. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I am really excited today to be joined by the one and only Candy Valentino. Candy, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So to give everybody just kind of a brief little overview of your story, you grew up with a family that was not really well off. Your dad was a mechanic. Your mother 
was a, a clean house is. And from a very young age, you were always dropped off after school at, at five years old at your dad's business. And so you always kind of saw them really working hard. And that's probably where a lot of your work ethic came from. But as you kind of talk about, you guys were never really all that well off. And it kind of led you to wanting to build something really big and make a lot of money. But I'm kind of interested because I always feel like sometimes people who maybe were born in a, into a family that was not well off, they don't have that model for success. They don't have that person that they look up to. They don't know exactly what success looks like or what making a lot of money looks like. And so sometimes that can lead people to maybe thinking small and, and not having the ability to think big because they don't have never seen it or they haven't had anybody to, to teach them that. Um, but it seems like you from a relatively young age have had the ability to think big. So I want to ask, like, when did that ability start and, and how did that kind of enter your mind to be able to think big and dream big and want to make a lot of money? Mm, it's a great question. So I think, you know, oftentimes we just don't know what we don't know. And so that viewpoint that someone may have, this is all that life is. If someone's struggling with that right now, that's totally acceptable because until we are exposed to new ideas, new people, new, new just things that you can do with life and have those experiences, we don't know that they're possible. And so for me, I think what one of them was a lot of the clients that came into my dad's garage, like being able to mm. see the guy that brought, brought in his black Ferrari and, you know, the chiropractor down the street that brought in his yellow Cadillac. And, you know, just to kind of understand what people do, it, I at least got a little bit of that exposure. Um, also, the lady that owned the building that my dad rented off of was a female. So wow. every month she would come down and, you know, all this gold jewelry, too much perfume to collect my dad's rent. And I kind of got to just have life lessons. So although I, I'm not educated, I didn't grow up in a family with education or a lot of experience in that regard, we have seen a lot of life lessons. And just that's what's kind of been built over throughout my life. And then really books. I mean, that's really why I even wanted to write a book to begin with is because that helped me so much reading books. You know, most people were 19 years old in college and partying on the weekends. I was running a business and in my office reading every single book I could get my hands on to figure out how the hell to run this business and actually make money. So I think that a combination of just, we always have the answers around us, but it's what we pay attention to. And also what we feed our mind with getting into books, getting new ideas so that we can expand that vision of what's possible. Mm, yeah. I think you said it, oftentimes you just don't know what you don't know. And I think that oftentimes to gain clarity on, on where you should go next, you just need to expose yourself to different things. And sometimes that can provide you with a little bit of a path in and of itself. So like you said, when you were, you were 19, when you started your first business, was it really books that were a lot, that allowed you to learn the business skills necessary to keep that business afloat? Or if, and if so, or if there was anything in addition, what was it? Yeah, well, first it's it's having the belief that you can, because mm. otherwise we're going to just perpetually play the tape in our mind of why we can't, and we always get what we focus on, right? So if we think that we're not going to, or this isn't going to be successful, or I'm going to be a failure, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I was just a little crazy enough, bold enough, and just confident enough to think if somebody else could do this, why can't I? 
So it's having that unwavering belief to start and not have all the answers. I always say you don't need to know the 110, you know, turn by turn step directions to go from Scottsdale to Sedona, but you've got to know what that end destination is or you're never going to get there. So I had had through books, through exposure of other people. And then once I started the business, I had the most amazing clients that I was able to be like, oh my gosh, like I love how that woman who's you know, 25 years ago, I was 19. She was now my age. (laughs) And I was looking up to her as being like, I love how she interacts with people and, you know, just all these different influences that we have in our life. But it really starts with having the belief to just, it's like, we always have the proof of what we're looking for. If we want to have the proof that we're going to fail, then our brain's going to sort and sift through all this stuff that we've done in our lives and where we haven't been successful. But if we want the proof that we may, we might be successful in this new thing, we also have people all around us, especially now that the internet has everybody on social media sharing their wins. We see all sorts of people that have actually done it and we can pull from that as well with whatever it is that we want to accomplish. So is that where a lot of your belief came from is proof from other people? Because I know that, you know, everybody gets self-belief and self-confidence from from different things. And I know for me, for example, I got a lot of self-confidence and belief in myself because my parents always believed in me and, and they never, they always taught me to believe in myself as well. And then through hard work and everything like that and, and seeing kind of hard work pay off with results has given me belief as well. But if I don't know exactly, maybe it was parents, maybe it was proof from other people. What was the thing that allowed you to have such a high level of belief at such a young age when maybe your parents didn't have that model of success? Well, first I had a lot of leverage. So that plays a part too, right? I had a lot of leverage to be successful, but as far as where maybe I got it from, you know, when I was 15, I I was ha- I had a babysitting business. I had a golf ball business and I got a Discover credit card. My dad wouldn't give me the $600 that I needed to buy these motivational tapes online even though I had the money. So I fraudulently, I do not recommend this. I fraudulently filled out the Discover card application that used to be paper back in the day, sent it in and somehow I got a Discover card at 15. So I ended up buying these tapes and I sat in my bedroom and listened to them one by one by one. And so that was my first exposure. And, you know, it's very interesting. A lot of times people grow up in a a more common familiar unit with parents. And But when you have teenage parents, like I did, we kind of grow up together, right? Because what do we know at 16? Like when you're going to have a baby at 16, it's not like you put a lot of thought and time of how you're going to raise this child and what beliefs you want to instill. So we kind of grew up together. But the interesting part is if you don't have a lot of external noise telling you what to do, you find it on your own. So it's, I think Mm -hmm. my confidence and my belief was because I found out how to do things on my own because I didn't have that external guidance of always what to do and what to say and what I should believe. So I think every human, regardless of their background or their experience in life, we all have this like internal gut instinct, but oftentimes we're waiting for permission we're waiting to to somebody else to have validation to our idea in order to do it. Meanwhile, we've known all along that we should do this, but we delay because we're allowing our mind to tell us as opposed to that instinct. So for me, I've just listened to that really intently, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I have no proof that it's going to work out. Like when I, I always tell the story when I exited my last company and I moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona, I knew nobody here. Like, but I instinctively knew I needed to be here, even though I had friends in California and Texas and Florida, but I just knew. And then it's like, 
six months later, it all gets revealed to you of why you needed to do that. But in the moment, you just got to listen. And so I think for me, that was, it was not having all of that noise, but I was then open-minded to the books and the other ideas and to just taking that first step because what else? I mean, it's not a big deal if it doesn't work out. You just take another step and do something else. And I think people get caught up in that identity of failure. And that's what prevents Mm. them from ever achieving anything great. Yeah. No, I like what you said that if you don't listen too much to the external noise, sometimes you can find the answers internally. However, I think sometimes people can take that maybe too far and, and, and say they trust their gut to make a particular decision. And sometimes trusting their gut is taking action because of fear of failure. So how do you internally almost separate when to listen to the gut internally? listen to your instincts internally because it is actually guiding you in the right direction. Whereas maybe you're trying not to listen to your instincts because it's something like a fear of failure or something like that. Yeah. So there's a difference between instinct and fears, right? So the instinct that we have is the guidance of like, you should do this, or maybe you sh- this doesn't feel right right now. Maybe you shouldn't do this right now. There's a difference between, I feel like I should do this, the but. It's like the yeah, but, I call it. Yeah, I should do that, but what if X, Y, Z? That's you. That's your own fear. That's your own crap. You know, your own BS beliefs that are popping up. And so it's the first thing. And it's also the constant thing, right? And I don't, I'm not very woo. I'm very tactical in in implementation. But if people sit and they wait for like the answer to come, like it's never going to come. Like clarity comes in motion. We get Mm. clear in what we want and what we should do by doing. So even if you think like, is this my instinct or is this my fear? By you taking the first step in the action and moving forward, you're going to quickly see which it is. And you then, then it's like, again, it's just your guidance to know. And like anything, the longer you do something, the more experience you have in it. Like I'm so in tuned with it now that it's pretty loud and I don't ignore it. But when I was younger, it took me a while to kind of figure out like, oh, should I do this? But again, our fear is always louder than our instinct. So making sure that if you do feel like, oh, maybe I should start this business or maybe I should start to build wealth or maybe I should... And yet then that 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 noise kicks in of why you shouldn't or how you failed or what's somebody going to say, that's all fear-based. Take the first step anyways, start anyways, and then figure it out as you go. That's the only way that you can learn. You either learn through mentors, people that have done it, or you learn through your own mistakes. But if you don't do either, you're going to stay exactly in the same position that you are right now. Yeah, that's that's so good. I, I love that distinction between instincts and fear and, and how you talked about instincts or something that are kind of always always there. But for now, I kind of want to dive into the meat and potatoes of, of wealth habits because I'm, I'm personally super excited. I have the book pre-ordered, so I'm excited for it to get here. And I know everybody will be excited when we when we dive further into some of the content as well. And we'll get into some habits when it comes to like income investment, retirement accounts and spending and things of that nature. But I kind of want to dive into something that I think is just really important foundation to know conceptually. And so one of the things that you talk about is how you don't really want to spend earned money. You want to save that money and then you want to invest it into assets that appreciate and create cash flow for you. And you allow that cash flow to be your source of of spending, essentially. And so I kind of want you to further explain exactly that framework again and give people a little bit better idea of what that looks like and means. Yeah. So the uh, the concept is you never want to spend earned money. 
So meaning you don't use your earned money from your job or your business to buy depreciating assets, boats, cars, whatever, shoes, the luxury items. You take your earned money, and there's obviously some caveats that we teach in here is making sure that you live below your means so that you can invest more, that you can take 20% of your earned income and immediately invest it into diversified investment vehicles. And someone might say to me like, oh, 20%, there is one line that I can give anybody listening that I can tell you if you're overspending in one sentence, how you answer this. If you can't take 20% of your earned income right now and invest it, you're over, you're overspending. Because you're spending so much on your bills, your cars, your home, whatever, you have overextended yourself to the point where now you can't invest in yourself and in your financial future because you're living in the financial reactive state of now. So the sooner that you can take earned money and start immediately investing 20%, and it's about building the habit. I know you're into fitness. It's like going into the gym. If you want to pick up the 25-pound weight, you got to start with the five. So if you say to me, I can't start investing 20% right now because yes, I acknowledge that I'm overspending, but until I get to that place, what can I do now? You can start investing five. Then you can start investing 10, just like upping your weights in the gym. You can do 15, but the only way that you can do that, business and personal finance are always the same. You can either increase your income or decrease your expenses. That's it. It's literally simple. We throw into business and money. We throw into all of these emotions and personal crap that we have, all this baggage. But it's really two things. You increase your income or you decrease expenses. That's it. So if you want to invest that 20%, what are you going to do? You either need to earn more, which is one of the habits to building more wealth. You earn more money by setting up something on the side that what you're currently doing, maybe a business, maybe a, a freelance position, you go on Upwork or Fiverr, or you flip products on eBay, whatever makes sense for, for you. You earn more so that then you can invest more. You're not earning more so that you can buy a bigger house. It's one of the most common things that I've seen, especially at this age, looking back, it was almost a little luck that I got these books so quick, right? Like I got these books at such an early age. So I didn't do a lot of the stupid things that most people do when they start to make more money. I've always lived, like as an example, I've always loved a Bentley and a Rolls Royce and I could have bought them a bazillion times. And I just can't stomach it because I, I think rather than driving this, I can have a cash flowing asset printing me money. And so if the car is that important to someone, buy the house and buy the rental property first that will pay for your car payment or pay for that car, whatever it may be. But maybe you realize at some point that that's actually not what life's all about. That if you right. don't set up financial freedom and you don't set up investments, you will constantly be trading time for money. And really, mm -hmm. when we studied all of the wealthiest people in the world in, in writing this book, what everybody wants is actually freedom. That's the whole reason to build wealth so that you can go where you want with whoever you want as often as you want and spend whatever you want, bless as many people as you want. You know, that's why I started a nonprofit at an early age to give back because giving is a really a big part of building wealth too. So I don't actually know if I answered your question. I may have gone, gone off on a tangent, which I do sometimes, but, <laughs> but that was perfect. That was perfect. And we're getting ready to go right back uh, to a follow up on that. But I'm, I just was interested when you brought it back up again, the books that you read it early on, where did, did, somebody tell you to read these books or were you just very interested in money? And so you've looked up popular money books and you found Think and Grow Rich and all those ones. Like what exactly introduced you to them? 
back in the day, there was, there was the internet. Like we had, I want to think that the only thing we had back then was like AOL chat rooms. And right. we were like, there was a lot of sketchy people. So you didn't want to hang out in the AOL chat rooms too much. But I just went to like the Barnes and Noble and went into money and finance section. And then it was like looking and it was asking questions. It was being inquisitive, mm-hmm. asking the people, because I didn't know. So I asked the people at Barnes and Noble, like, hey, what's a really great book about money? And at the time, it was Think and Grow Rich had just come out and Smart Women Finish Rich by David Bach. And that mm-hmm. book was absolutely life-changing for me. And then it was The Millionaire Next Door. And then that was about real estate. So it was really those three books. Then it was The Magic of Thinking Big. And then in my business life, it was I was studying the Rich carlton Company, the Starbucks Company. Like, we don't have to... Like, a lot of times people think that wealth is elusive, that we have to innovate some incredible product or mm. charter a rover to Pluto or do something like... I haven't done anything life-shattering. It's all been very or- ordinary and often boring things that I've done, but I've still been able to find and figure out my way. And these are all tools that even the poor kid in the small town have access to is a $25 book and another $25 book when you have that. And then you take that $25 book and you sell it back to half price books and they give you a credit to buy a new book. And you continually invest in yourself and in your knowledge because that's one of the ways that you earn more wealth. You learn your way to more wealth. And that's literally what I did before I had any idea of what wealth actually was. Yeah, no doubt. That, that's great. I love that. So let's. I'm going to go back to kind of what you said earlier, right? You want to, everybody here needs to be taking at least 20% of what they're currently making and saving it and investing it. So let's talk about if somebody who is early on in that game, where should that 20% be going? Should it be going in stock? Should it be saving up for real estate? Talk about where that money should be going and at what point should it be utilized for maybe a purchase of one of those appreciating assets. We'll be back to the interview in just a second, but first I wanted to share some words from a participant of the 10-week transformation. At Best You, we started running the 10WT back in January of 2020 and have since had 313 people and counting go through it. They've seen their bodies get stronger than ever before, they've seen the stubborn fat finally come off, and they've seen their habits dramatically improve. And honestly, more than anything, they've seen their self-confidence skyrocket. If you want to learn more about the 10-week transformation, then you can go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. That's nickcarrier.com slash the number 10WT. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but first, here's what they had to say. I'm Nina. I joined the 10-week program, one, for friends, and then two, because I know that Nick always structures his workouts with a lot of intention behind everything. There's always a method behind the madness and it's not just like a bunch of jumping around to raise your heart rate essentially. Like there's always a reason why you're doing everything. I've been able to maintain um, a lot of my strength and I'm training for a marathon right now and so like my mileage is crazy and just a lot of cardio. But with like doing his workouts twice a week I've been able to maintain a bunch of strength last nine weeks now. My favorite part of the program is honestly probably the people that I've met through. Um, I've just been able to make a lot of friends and it's just a fun time at 5 a.m. <laughs> you should join Nick's 10 week program. Got it. Great question. So, number one, you never want to be saving your money. Saving your right. money, if you're going to get 1%, half percent, 0.2% in a money market or any other type of vehicle, you will lose money because of inflation. So the only time that you are actually saving money 
is if you understand taxes, and that's in the book, understanding how to use taxes, just like all of the rich and all of the super big corporations use. So first, you're going to want to take anything, anything that you can save right now, 5%, 15%. And the only way that you're going to know this is to really start understanding your personal finances. Like we tend to ignore that that we don't know. And the mm. only way to understand it better is to start paying attention to it. And oftentimes people bring all these emotions with them, guilt, shame, embarrassment, anxiety around their numbers. But if you don't start to do it, you will never develop this talent or skill. So the first thing is, whatever you can do now, you need to use 20% as your benchmark. And if you can't do that, you have two questions. Do I want to earn more or do I want to save by spending more, by spending less? Either earn more or save by cutting your expenses. Those are the only ways. And if you decide that... Okay. Sorry, I was just going to say, before you go on to the the next level, I know you're maybe going to wrap up that point real quick, but when you say... I know what you mean when you say you should never be saving. You should never put in a savings account where it's only making 1%, less than 1%, a little bit more than 1%, depending on the time. Do you have no money in that? Do you have a little bit for um, for emergencies or do you have everything in something that can make you more than that? Or The only thing nothing? you ever have liquid is your emergency fund. And the only way to yeah. decide how much you actually need is anywhere from three to 12 months. That's a wide range, right? A quarter of your a quarter of your salary or a year of your salary. The only way to know which would make most sense for you is how easy would it be re- to replace the job mm. or the business that you have should something happen. And if you're in a high demand and in- high demand industry or you have high demand skills or talent, maybe three three months is fine for you. But if it's something that you're very specialized in and the world is changing constantly, maybe you need 12 months. That is the only thing you want liquid. And you want that to be in a separate account that's not your checking account. You literally put that in there and you forget that you have it. And this is what most people mess up because they think they can keep dipping into it. The goal is not to dip into it. The goal is to just have it there almost as the Brinks truck of your life. That this yeah. is, God forbid something happens, I have this protection. That is the only thing you want to save. You're not actually doing anything with that money other than for protection. Aside from that, let's say you have that done, which should be done because again, if you can't invest 20%, that means you probably don't have an emergency fund, which means if something happens to you tomorrow, you're like my dad, for example, was in a, a horrible motorcycle accident. He hasn't worked for months. Most people don't think that that happens, but millions of Americans every single year are in horrible accidents that are life-changing. Even if they're not life-threatening, they're life-changing. So the fact that we think it's never going to happen, it actually is a greater chance of happening than just about anything else in our life. So having that Brinks truck saved is crucial. Then the next part is for somebody that's brand new, is you want to start, if you're eligible, so if you make under, say, 135000 net a year, you're eligible for a Roth IRA. This is literally the number one hack that every single person listening should do. And if you already do it and you have kids, it's the first thing you should set up for your kids in order for your kids to become wealthy. More so than a 529 or any of these college plans, maximizing a Roth IRA, which currently is $6,000 a year, over the industry average, so over 40 years when I did my research, the average was 9.3% interest was paid over a 40 year time. So if you, the earlier you start doing that, and if you just did that $500 a month, 6,000 a year, you would be able to have over several millions of dollars, depending on how old you are when you go to retire. So that's really like 
the basic bare bones. And then if you already have those things and you're maxing out, if you have a job, if you're maxing out your, your 401k or your IRA, whichever you have with your job, now you want to start looking at, okay, I have my emergency fund. I have my Roth IRA. I'm maxing out. You know, these are all of the more safe, secure vehicles. Now maybe you want to take it up a notch and get better returns because investing, you either get average returns or above average returns. Average returns are typically pretty safe, like what we talked about. Above average returns are obviously going to have a little bit of above average risk, and they're going to need above average research in order to get into them. So that's when you want to start then saving, and I'm using air quotes if we're not on video, you want to save up in your investments in order to then purchase a real estate property or something else like a commercial unit or something later down the road. But you don't even want to... A lot of times it's like something about the social media world. People want to like glamorize certain things. Like entrepreneurship has been like glamorized and it's really not. Real estate for whatever reason has been glamorized and it's really not. But if you do the basics first, then you can look at the fun, sexy things that everybody talks about. But if you don't have those first three things done, you have no business doing the others. Mm, yeah, completely agree. So if let's say somebody is at that point, let's just continue to go down this road. Let's say somebody has those things set up, the three to 12 month savings, the Roth IRA, they're maxing out their retirement at, w- retirement at work. And so they're starting to put money in assets that are making them above average return so that maybe they are wanting to maybe buy their first house or buy their first uh, piece of property. At what point do you feel like is that the appropriate purchase? Like, is there a specific amount, uh, like specific percentage that people should be working towards of the home value that they're looking to buy? Or at what point is somebody ready to jump off to make that maybe first purchase of the kind of like the true appreciating asset? Such a great question. So I think that it's important to know that obviously context. This is what I probably dislike the most about a lot of personal finance people. They give no context. You have Dave Ramsey who's telling you like, don't ever get debt. And then you have Grant Cardone who's telling you like debt to to the nth degree, but they're not giving context to who they're talking to, which is why there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. So you have to watch who you listen to. Knowing that everyone's in a different place, it's listening. I'll give some context. If you haven't yet bought a house, you get one opportunity. So if you're renting or you still live with your parents, you get one opportunity to do an FHA lo- an FHA loan in America, which means you it's a first time home buyer. You only have to put three point five percent down. It's an incredible program to get people home ownership. What happens is most people. of people, if not 95, they focus on the max size house they can get for that (laughs) 3.5%. And then they have debt out their ears. And it'll take them 30 years until they're 60 years old to pay that off. Instead, what I would encourage everyone to do is because you only get this one time, but you can actually use it. Some lenders will allow you to do it on a duplex, a triplex, or a very small quad apartment building. And the way that you can get around this is you actually live in one of the units for 12 months because that's the rules of the FHA. Otherwise, you get all kinds of fines and penalties. But you only have to put 3.5% down. So imagine you find a duplex in an off area, which I know that this exists in like certain parts of rural areas. You find a duplex for hundred grand. You put $3,500 down. You live in the one of the units for a year. You put somebody else in the next unit next to you. Now, all of your living expenses are zero. Because somebody else is paying that mortgage. When your year comes up, you move out, you put somebody else into that unit that you were using, and now you have a cash flowing asset that's already positive. 
Now you take that money and you rinse and repeat. You can't do the FHA loan again. So that's gone. But now you do 25 or 30% down because that's what's typical for investment properties. And you buy the next one. And you continue to flip your way in to something that once you have, say, 300 from this property, 500 from this property, 1,000 cash flowing from this property, then you go consider buying the house that you want to buy because now all of those rental properties pay for that house. And now that's how you get around. That's, that is basically the example that we just got to of how to not take earned income to buy your house. You take earned income to invest, invest, invest. Then you take all of those cash flowing assets and the money that they print, and then you go buy whatever you want. Mm, that's, that's so good. I think if you guys aren't paying close enough attention, if you're not sitting down somewhere, then you need to go back and listen to this because there's very clear step-by-step processes and, and numbers here that you can really apply to your life because as she said, it's not necessarily a specific uh, blueprint like we're, we're not saying you have to do this at this time point. It's, it's depending on your situation, but she's presented a framework here that you can very much apply to your situation in your life right now that is super, 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 super valuable. So make sure that you are writing this stuff down as well. Um, I want to go back to one of the things that you said in the very beginning. And I think I have an idea of what you mean, but one of the things you said in the beginning was you had a lot of leverage to be successful. Talk about what that leverage means because I don't think a lot of people probably understood what that meant. Yeah. So leverage is when the your back is up against the wall and there's mm-hmm. no other option. The only other option is poverty or staying exactly where you are. And for me, I had enough exposure that I saw what else was out there. And I just knew that there was something else. Again, nothing wrong with the the environment that I grew up in or necessarily the people or anything like that's their choice. That was their option. But I knew something else was out there. And anytime we have leverage, it's basically, it's like a a rubber band that's kind of like holding us to the ground, the tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter it gets, the more impact we have to kind of pop off and create whatever it is that we want. So my leverage was I didn't want to ever have to depend on anyone for money. I had seen so many people, including my mom. You know, my dad was a great is a great guy, so she got lucky. But I know so many people and so many women that got married to the wrong person, that had a baby to the wrong person, and now their life is completely set for how they're going to show up. And now they have to make choices based off of money, and they can't get mm-hmm. out of relationships or jobs that they hate or places that they don't want to live because they don't have options. And I chose that no matter what, I never want to depend on anyone for money so that I could go where I wanted, live where I wanted, see, do whatever I wanted. And so for me, that was a very real thing. I knew that I had to build something on my own, grow something so that then I had options. And that's really what money gives you. It's what success gives you is options that you don't have to stay in that crappy relationship. You don't have to live, yeah. you know, with that family that maybe is is abusing you or not doing like you have options. And so for me, I had a lot of leverage to get out of that environment and to create a better life. Yeah, that's powerful. I think having your back against the wall is if you've never had that before, then you don't know exactly what it feels like to to really have that, you know metaphorical tiger chasing behind you that you have to run away from super, super fast. Um, one, actually, one of the things that I wanted to ask, especially because I know that a lot of people who are maybe millennials or, or maybe 20s, 30s right now think this way, or I've even heard them say this, 
is they spend mo- they'll spend money on experiences and and they're like I just really value experiences and I value spending the time with the people and, and that's really what I want to do and I think that's kind of a popular thing nowadays and I'm not saying it's wrong everybody has different values and everybody has different things that they want to spend on but I think some people it's not necessarily their necessarily their value they've maybe just heard somebody else say it and so they adopt it because somebody else said it so my question for you is what do you say to that person who is in their 20s and 30s and maybe should be saving up to you know buy their first duplex or, or what have you when they're saying I just want to buy, I just want to spend my money on experiences right now and live life to the fullest. Yeah. So all they're doing is disguising, choosing instant gratification over long-term gains. Mm. All it is, is regurgitated on the internet. Like I see the same things regurgitated over and over and over again. And that's one of them. But that could be the same thing as the guy like, well, I just really don't like nice cars. You can like yeah. whatever you want, but all it is is an dis- excuse to trade short-term instant gratification for long-term growth. And just know that if that's your choice, that's anyone's choice. Nobody has to build wealth. People could work forever if that's what they want to do because they want instant gratification now. Just know what you're getting into. Just know that you're going to be doing that when you're 72 <laughs> and you're going to be working when I can tell you when my friends were in college at 19 and I was figuring out how to pay 941s and how to balance inventory and how to gain customers and do direct mail because internet marketing wasn't there yet. When I was figuring all of that out, there were certainly moments that I was like, boy, I wish I could have some experiences. Boy, I wish I could go to this bar. I wish I could go to the party. I wish I could hang out with my friends. But if you will do what few are willing to do now, you will get to do what few can experience later. And here at 40 years old, when I turned 40, before I turned 40, that was my goal going in. I want to do this for 20 years and I want to be out. And I worked my tail off. And now I can be in the middle of the day talking to you. I can go take my dog for a walk. I can have any experience I want. Only now the experience is going to be a lot greater, a lot bigger. And I can bring anyone along with, with me than if I would have done it in my 20s. So it's not to say that you can't have the experiences. All it is, is you're going to have bigger, bolder, more, what is it? Audacious? (laughs) Audacious experiences later if you will trade that short-term instant gratification for long-term growth. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so good. And and look, it's not saying that you can't have any experiences. Maybe you just select the experiences that you have and you figure out a way to make them maybe cost less than otherwise. You can go with your friends, but instead of you having your own hotel room, maybe you all split an Airbnb, right? It's like making sure that you're intentional about the, the decisions that you're making with your money. Uh, before the last question, I want to make sure I get you out of time, but I, I do have one more. I have two more. And this one is just kind of a, a curious thing. I feel like when somebody looks at you from a kind of a stereotypical standpoint, they, they wouldn't see you as somebody who grew up in a family that was not very well off. They might look at you and, and think, oh, she's, she's just always had it. Her parents were probably wealthy and, and all that kind of stuff. Have you experienced that a decent amount? And if so, kind of how do you internalize that, I guess? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, from the time I was 19, people would come into my first business because brick and mortar and they'd be like, oh, can I talk to the owner? Like wanting to sell something. And I'm like, hi, you know, and they're like, no, like the world has evolved a lot. Like being in business now as a female is drastically different than it was 25 years ago. I mean, it was rare to be a female in business. I remember my mom saying to me when I was in high school, she was like, well, do you want to be a teacher or a nurse? 
And I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, you know, that's like, that's what you should probably do. You want to be a teacher or nurse? And I'm like, I'm not that great with kids and I'm really not great with blood. So I don't want to do any of those things. I want to start a business, you know? And so it was not a common thing. And, and we've certainly evolved in these last two generations that have come up, but it is something that's expected. And it, I, at another point in my life, I was probably just transparently, I was probably a little too aggressive about it, not to ever make someone feel bad, but I would make sure to show up bigger and bolder so that people knew that I wasn't walking in with the guy that the guy was walking in with me. Right. Because there is mm. a, there is a misconnotation with that, that it's like, you know, oh, she's always, always had money or, oh, she must be the side, you know, the arm candy or, oh, she might like, there's all these things that come into play. And there's been times in my life where I've often changed who I am because of not wanting to, you know, I've also, I've often maybe played small so I wouldn't make other people uncomfortable, or I don't mm -hmm. say the thing that I know to say, because I don't, I know the guy doesn't actually want to hear it from me. He wants to hear it from someone else. And then I just really, I think probably in my thirties, I just stopped, stopped all of that. And I'm just like, I am who I am and I am who I'm not. And mm -hmm. I, there's certain things about me that there's probably a lot of people that don't like, but that's the way that I'm made. And that's the way that I'm wired. So the more that I just became who I am, and showed up as big or small, whatever the situation was, the more I felt okay with me. And I think that's the important part. Um, it's because again, if you change who you are because of other people's opinions, you'll also change to be like them. Mm. And so for me, I wasn't comfortable to change to be like them. So I'm also not going to change myself to fit their molds. Yeah. That's awesome. That's powerful. Um, I want to, before the last question here, Candy, I just want to acknowledge you for being bold and courageous and, and being curious really at such a young age and taking, you know, maybe a, really a leap of faith on yourself at such a young age and, and starting your own business and then investing in real estate by the time you were 21, 22. And then for you to continue to work on yourself and, and not change who you are. Maybe you did that a little bit early on, but you've worked on yourself and grown out, grown out of that. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. And I want to acknowledge you for just thanks so much for being generous with your time today and offering so much value for our audience here. I know that they have gotten so many practical pieces of value but also some motivation as well and and some mindset tricks so really appreciate all that you guys make sure you go order pre-order a copy of her book i guess depending on when you're listening to this wealthhabitsbook.com i know that the book is not just going to be motivating but it's also going to give you a lot of practical stuff just like you got here today like tangible things that you can read and then apply immediately right after so the so make sure you go get wealth habits Six Ordinary Steps to Achieve Extraordinary Financial Freedom at WealthHabitsBook.com and follow her on Instagram at Candy Valentino if you don't already. Uh, and Candy, last question is that I believe that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. I don't think we ever actually get to that best version. And I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way I'm going to get there is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So the last question is for you personally. If there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to the best version of Candy Valentino that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Mm, you know, it's this is something that I work on constantly. You know, it's it's easy to uplevel yourself and your life when you don't have anything. It's, it's mm. probably hard for some people to believe that, but until you've been through the journey, it's really it's really easy to operate from a place of leverage when you want to get out of poverty. But when you get comfortable and you have a level of success, it becomes a lot harder to motivate yourself, to push yourself, to move forward because you kind of have everything that you just sought after to build, right? right? So one of the things is I am constantly 
setting a new goal, setting a stretch, always making sure that I'm not comfortable because that that mediocrity can start to settle in. Even when other people think that you have a certain level of success, you have to constantly be stretching yourself. So that's one. It's always like, how do I make myself poor again so that I can use those scrappy things that I know in order to show up? And it's amazing. I don't go to poverty level, but there are times that I leverage a lot on the line so that I show up in a new way. And it's crazy what you can create when you do that over and over. So that's one. Number two is I would say I've worked from such a hard place of hard work and grind and grit that this next chapter in my life, I'm just trying to do it with a little more ease. Still working, still working hard, still working really hardcore and, and focus. I always say someone might be smarter than me, better looking than me or be more connected with than me, but they're not going to outwork me. But this next chapter and season in my life, I'm just trying to do things with a little more ease. So I ask myself these questions every time. Anytime I'm about to do something, anytime I'm stumped on something, I say, what am I missing? And I will obsess on this. What am I missing? What am I missing? Number two, how can I make this easier? How can I make this easier? If I'm up Mm. against the wall and I can't figure out this next step, how can I make this easier? And number three, how can I make this more fun? Because fun was never an option for me. I always just wanted so, so so much to get out of poverty and build this, build that. But then what happens is when you're you're wired that way, you actually get there and you don't take time to acknowledge that you made it. And you just keep pushing. And so now I'm trying to have a little more fun with how I do things. So those are, those are two, three of the questions I would say. And number two and number three, this has been a guiding, a guiding thing for me because again, it's not about what we acquire. It's not about what we build. It's not about the wealth that we have, but it's who can I help? Who can I serve? How can I leave a legacy beyond me? And I think that's a, a, you know, fluffy line that people say, but how do you actually implement it? You know, starting a nonprofit when I was 26, I wanted to really give back and serve. And so I've done that for now the last 16 plus years and have been really involved in the mission, but I'm constantly looking at how can I do something more than that? Like, what am I missing? And and what could I really be contributing to other nonprofits, other charities, other founders? And so I'm always looking through that lens of how can I serve more in the best way, but also keeping in mind those other two, right? How can I make mm. it easy? How can I make it fun? Um, and just what am I missing in that process? So th- I think those would be the three I would tell you. Yeah. Well, those are great. Well, I appreciate your time today, Candy. I know everybody else does as well, and they learn so much. So y'all, again, make sure you go follow her on Instagram at Candy Valentino, and also go grab the book Wealth Habits at wealthhabitsbook.com. Um, really appreciate it today, Candy. That's all we got. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That episode should literally make you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Like I said before the show, if you didn't spend the time to take notes during that episode, you are missing out. And I want you to have FOMO if you did not take notes. So make sure you go back and write out the step-by-step process to building wealth that Candy breaks down. And be sure that you share the episode with a friend or family member who you also want to see build wealth and be more successful by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And remember have an emergency fund, and also be, quote, saving at least 20% of what you make. Be sure that you save your money so that you can invest your money by purchasing appreciating assets that create cash flow for you. This is so powerful. That sentence is so powerful, so let me say it again. Purchase appreciating assets that create cash flow for you. So good. 
And make sure you go grab a copy of Wealth Habits at wealthhabitsbook.com. But for now, it's time. It is time to apply the practical knowledge that you just got from Candy today. It's time to constantly be setting new goals, to be earning more than you spend, and then save and invest that money. And also to be looking at how you can give back and serve more because it's through doing those things that you will continue to get closer and closer to your best you.